If we follow Christ, we've got to have our tools. Everybody needs tools, right? No matter what you're doing, you need tools. The architect needs his tools. The carpenter needs his tools. The doctor needs his tools. The farmer's got to have his tools. The mechanic's got to have his tools. And with those tools comes a lot of hard work. The soul winner also needs his tools. That's what we've been about here on several Sunday nights of this year. We first went through our Back to the Bible pamphlets to give us a tool, just a tool, to help us sit down and talk to somebody about salvation and the Lord's church. And then the last few weeks, we've been going through some pamphlets that helps us discuss doubts, helps us talk to someone who hasn't yet come to a belief either in the Lord or in Scripture, or perhaps in Jesus as the Christ. So we need tools. We need tools. Of course, the, the best tool in the world, and the tool we cannot do without, is uh, the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6, 17. We, we, we don't have it. We might as well uh, go home. But there's all kinds of tools. These pamphlets are good tools. You know, tonight we end our three booklet uh, series. The first one was on affirming the existence of God. The second one was on affirming the inspiration of the Bible. And then tonight is a discussion of knowing Jesus as the Son of God. Those are three solid rocks that one needs to form in his life, his or her life. Belief in God, belief in the Bible as God's Word, and belief in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. Once one gets to that position in life, he is now ready, he or she is ready to explore salvation in Christ and the Lord's church and living and growing in Christ. And so these, these are tools. They're not, there's no tool of man that's perfect. But we're looking for tools that will help us to sit down and, and discuss the scripture uh, with others. So we're looking for tools that will help us share salvation. We're looking for tools that will help us extinguish doubt. We're looking for tools that will encourage uh, folks. And we have several tools, as we've always had, uh, in our uh, outreach room back there. Here's one on grandparenting. Okay. Uh, Ken, you need that one. Okay. All right. And there's, there's one on uh, the Back to the Bible uh, series. Here's, here's one called uh, Married for Life. Married for Life right here. So, uh, this is one called Death by the Numbers. We'll be preaching on that one these days. And... Here is Brother Rob's uh, DVD on Does It Matter? Does It Matter? You're talking about uh, being able to share something with someone and then go back into your shell. This is it. This just teaches someone. Uh, when Rob put this uh, DVD together, he basically was trying to convert the camera. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to convert the person he's talking to. And so these are excellent to share, to, to stick in the mail. And it's just wonderful. Here is... One called, well, What to Expect When You Visit the Churches of Christ. Okay, here's another one on prayer. So we're looking for tools that will help us share salvation. 
We're looking for tools that will help us extinguish doubt. We're looking for tools that will help us to encourage other people in their walk of life. Here are these eternity bracelets that help us share uh, salvation. Here is a book. We have several of these. It's simply called Jesus Wept. Jesus Wept. Uh, you want to know what to do uh, as you talk to someone who is grieving? Leroy Brownlow years ago put together this little book. It's a wonderful book. And you know, oftentimes we don't know what to say to someone when they have lost a loved one, but we can give them a book. We can say, hey, you know, this has some excellent thoughts in it. And they'll take it and, and appreciate it uh, very much. We need tools that will, that will encourage uh, children uh, as well. We have several bookmarks. Here's one on the, on, um, on the Ten Plagues and another bookmark on, on the Ten Plagues. We have just an abundant resources back uh, in the back that helps us to encourage. But we need a toolbox. Your toolbox might not look like this. Your, your toolbox may be a backpack. Your toolbox may be a box with a lid on it. Your toolbox may be your purse. Your, your toolbox may just, just be a box. You know, uh, your toolbox may be your pockets. Whatever it is that you need to do, we've got to have our tools to be able to do our work. We are, as soul winners, we are uh, like architects. Uh, we take the scriptures and help people see our Lord and see the possibilities of salvation. We are, uh, in a sense, uh, we are like carpenters. We take God's word and share it with others so they can build their faith in Christ. We are a bunch like doctors. We're like doctors. You know, Jesus in Matthew 13, 15, he refers to understanding his will and applying it as, as spiritual healing. Spiritual, he is a great physician, and so we're not surprised that he brings spiritual healing to anyone who will submit um, to him. We are farmers, and we need tools to farm. We need hard work to farm, but as farmers... We sow the seed of the Word of God. And we are mechanics because only the Word of God can restore us to where we need to be. Only the, the Word of God can repair our souls, repair our lives the way it needs to be done. And so this evening we will go through booklet number three, the good Lord willing. And so you have uh, received that. And hopefully the answers will be on our on our screen, Christ, who is He? Okay, so get ready, get ready. If you don't have something to write with, then your neighbor will have. Your neighbor, you see a lady here, and she has a purse. She has something to write with in that purse. She's probably got several things to write with. If you need something to write with, all you gotta do is raise your hand. Somebody uh, will see you. Will see you. Okay. All right. So looking here on. Um, Page number two. Page number two. We're not going to go over every single part of this book, but you're going to like this book. You're going to like, you like, you're going to like this book better than you did the other two because it gets right down to Jesus and Scripture. So we start with Jesus as a real person uh, on page two. You see that? Almost every nation uses the abbreviation BC to reference time. BC is a dating abbreviation that stands for all time before Christ. Before Christ. All right. Most nations use the Latin abbreviation AD, which means in the year of our Lord. In the year of our Lord. There are two worldwide holidays in December, March, April that recognize the reality of Jesus. These holidays are, of course, uh, Christmas and, and Easter. 
There are four eyewitnesses uh, in the Bible, four eyewitness testimonies, testimonies that are prominent in, in the New Testament of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. These four eyewitnesses are Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and John. Right. And so Jesus indeed was a real person. There are a lot of material. You can go back into the first century and prior to the first century and find uh, just secular historians who would testify to the fact that Jesus was a real person. He actually came here uh, in the flesh. All right. So page number uh, three. Uh, now we can know Jesus through knowledge. We can know Jesus uh, through knowledge. So here we go. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John 8 verse 32. The Bible was written that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John five thirteen. You see that? 1 John five thirteen. The next one, we are commanded to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. The next one, we can escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 2 and verse 20. And then, we understand the knowledge of the mystery of Jesus Christ when we read and understand the knowledge in the mystery of Christ, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 4. We can know Jesus uh, through knowledge. Alright, jumping over to page number uh, five now. We can know Jesus by faith. And that would be a natural thing because we know faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So let's get started. Page number five. Faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or really the conviction, the persuasion of things not seen. Not seen. All right. Then faith, of course, comes by hearing the Word of God. So the next one is hearing. And then the next one from John 20 and 31. These things are written. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then concerning the, the Samaritan's woman, the Samaritan woman's testimony in John 4, we read from John 4, 39, many of the Samaritans were able to believe in Jesus because... Of the word of the woman who testified. Because of the word of the woman who testified. These are answers straight out of uh, the scripture. And so we're going to move uh, right along here. Now going to page number 6. Continuing on knowing Jesus by faith. Notice this on top of the page concerning Thomas. Thomas came to believe in Jesus because of what he saw. But Jesus told him, Blessed are those who have not seen, who have not seen and yet have believed. John 20, 27 uh, through 29. There were three experiences that allowed John and others to bear witness of Jesus from the beginning. John writes in 1 John 1, verses 1 through 3, We have heard that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon and our hands have Handle. Okay, so see those words from 1 John 1, 1 through 3. And this from Peter. Peter has uh, worked quite hard here in 2 Peter 1 to explain to people that the gospel was not created through fables 
or uh, legends, but rather they were eyewitnesses. So the word here is eyewitnesses. Notice what it said here on page 6. We should not follow fables, but only that which can be confirmed by, the, by eyewitnesses of his majesty. Specifically there, Peter in 2 Peter 1 is referring to his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it was something that was quite unforgettable for Peter. And yet, that allowed him to be an eyewitness of the majesty of our Lord. Now over to page number 8. We can know Jesus as a real person. We can know Jesus through the knowledge of Scripture. We can know Jesus by faith. And we can know Jesus uh, through His resurrection. Through His resurrection. So here are a few comments about the resurrection of Jesus. The thing I like about this is you're just allowing the Scripture to speak to you. And this particular booklet is more self-teaching than the other two were. And so uh, it has a lot of advantage to it. So let's get started here from Matthew 27. After the crucifixion of Jesus, the tomb was made secure. The tomb was made secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard there. Setting the guard there. They made it as sure as they could. Roman officials making a tomb as secure as they could. They knew how to secure uh, a gravesite. Alright. Next uh, statement here. The chief priest paid the soldiers a large sum of money to say his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Stole him away while we slept. It's amazing when you start lying how uh, ridiculous you sound. So he's saying that they were, they were sleeping witnesses. From Mark chapter 16, notice three ladies came early in the morning to visit the tomb of Jesus. And they came on the first day of the week. First day of the week. Just as Jesus said it would happen. When these three ladies entered the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side who said... Uh, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified and He is risen. He is risen. You've got to have that shaded or circled or marked or starred in your Bible. That is a summary of the great news of our Lord. He is risen. And as proof of the resurrection, the man said, uh, He is not here. Uh, See the place where they had laid him. And I suppose that would be, physically speaking, the most chilling place to look upon that has ever been observed. Can you imagine taking your eyes over to the place where they had laid Jesus and he's simply not there? So that's from page uh, number eight. Still speaking about Jesus and knowing him uh, through his resurrection. Look on page 9. This from uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 3. Luke writing, Acts 1 verse 3. Saying, Jesus showed himself alive after his resurrection by many infallible proofs. Being seen for how many days? Forty days. Forty days. Wouldn't you love to have been on the earth walking with Jesus during those forty days after his resurrection. Think about how many people he was able to speak to in 40 days, how many people he taught, how many people were eyewitnesses 
of who he was and what had happened to him. We tend to think about Thomas reaching forth and seeing the wounds of Jesus. How many other people were able to see those wounds as Jesus was here for 40 days? Paul said Jesus was buried and rose again on the third day and was seen by Cephas, seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 4 and 5. Same chapter, Jesus was seen by over 500 uh, brethren at once, of whom the greater part were still living when Paul wrote this letter. That's huge because they were still around for quite some time. Those who were learning the gospel could actually come up to these people, these eyewitnesses, and talk to them for for several years about what they had observed. Over 500 brethren uh, had seen Jesus alive uh, themselves. Jesus prophesied, next statement here, on page number 9, Jesus prophesied of his death by crucifixion and his resurrection on the first or third day. Third day. Same day, third day, as it's presented here in Matthew 20, 17 through 19. Jesus predicted this. He often predicted this. Okay. Turning our booklets now over to page number 11, and we'll notice how Jesus can be known as the Son of God. Again, statements right from Scripture. This one from Colossians 1, 16 on the top of page 11. Top of page 11 from Colossians 1.16. By Jesus all things were created. By Jesus all things were created that are in heaven and that are in the earth. Does Does this mean that Jesus made you? Absolutely. It means that Jesus made every one of us. He was in the beginning. That's what makes this so marvelous, so wondrous, so mysterious, so godlike. Because Jesus was both in the beginning and yet he came to earth in the flesh. From Revelation 1 verse 8, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end. Simply is a statement of Jesus being eternal. From Philippians 2 and verse 6, Jesus was equal with God before he came to this earth. He counted not it, he was not ashamed to say that he was on the equality with God, but he left heaven, humbled himself, and as the next statement says, look at, look at the next statement, Philippians 2 verse 7, Jesus humbled himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and came in the likeness of men, likeness of men. And then at the bottom of page number 11, when Jesus became a man, he also willingly became the only begotten Son of God, John 3, verse 16. Still looking at Jesus as the Son of God, we turn to page number 12. And from Matthew chapter 1, in verse 21, Jesus was called Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. The, the, the name Jesus means one who delivers, uh, one who saves. And we are in desperate need of him because of our sins. And he will save us, deliver us 
from our sins. Matthew one twenty one. Next statement, Jesus was also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is right from Matthew 1 and verse 23. And then from John 3.17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Condemned and saved. The Lord wants us to be saved. We don't use that verse enough. What a beautiful verse. Seems like we stop at verse 16. I often use 1, John, uh, 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. God would have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the, tr- of the truth. But this was good too. He didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. Top of page uh, 13 now, still speaking about Jesus as the Son of God. Notice from Hebrews 4 and verse 15, Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted in all points of life as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. So notice that two blanks there on top of page 13. Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Then from Matthew 4 verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Be tempted by the devil. God wanted us to see Jesus tempted. Notice it says Jesus is led by the Spirit. This is God wanted us to see this so that we can learn how to stand against Satan as well. And then the next question, have you ever been tempted by the devil? Of course you have. All of us have. All of us are. And so the next statement comes, even though Jesus was the Son of God, He still had to learn obedience, learn obedience, obedience is that statement there, by the things which He suffered. And then notice this, is it your understanding that no matter who we are, we too must obey the Father through our suffering? The idea is that as the Lord learned obedience through suffering. Of course, that was for the ultimate price for mankind. Yet still, on a lower level, we too will learn obedience through our own uh, suffering. Next statement. As a son, Jesus became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. You know that one, Philippians 2 and verse 8. And you also know 1 Peter 2.22 in the next statement, Jesus did no sin, neither was there guile found in His mouth. And one of the reasons Jesus came to the earth was to die and to shed His blood for our sins. So notice Hebrews 9 and 22, without the shedding of blood there can be no remission of sin. But we also learn on top of that from Hebrews 10, 4, that the blood of animals cannot take away sin. The blood of animals cannot take away sin. So only the Lord's sacrifice is worthy of our submission, our attention. He's the only one that can wash away our sins. On top of page 14 now, still on the thought that Jesus is the Son of God, few more statements from Scripture. From 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. 
And he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Then from 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And by his stripes, we failed to get that one up there. By his stripes, or by his wounds, we are healed. 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. And so the mission of Jesus is quite clear. Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. Those who are lost. Do you want to be saved by Jesus? Jesus' blood is a propitiation or an offering, a covering for the sins of the whole world, John says, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. For the whole world. Reminds us of Hebrews 2 9, where it says, Jesus tasted death for every man. Jesus doesn't just want people in America to be saved, He wants people in Canada, India, Australia, anywhere someone has breath, Jesus wants them to be saved. Jesus shed His blood for the whole world. And then from Philippians 2 9 through 11. God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then on page uh, 15, passage uh, we may have referred to this morning. If we believe, 1 Thessalonians 4.14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, we also believe that God will meet us in the air. Jesus will meet us in the air. That He will bring those who have died in Christ already with Him and there will be a great reunion in the air. Not on the earth, in the air. This is what we were talking about this morning. God shows His power in one area. That's proof of His power in another. The reason we believe in heaven, the reason we believe in Judgment Day, the reason we believe in eternal life with Him is because of the power He's already displayed in so many different ways. I hope and pray that we as human beings, as servants of the Lord, will look for tools that can help us. Tools are not a means in themselves. They're, they're, they're like a link. Anything that can get us sit, sitting down with someone with an open Bible, when you get that to that position with someone with an open Bible, then it's, it's a great place. It's a great place to be in. And that's what these tools are all about. And so you're very welcome. Very welcome. We'll, we've already got our Back to the Bible first series of pamphlets in, in great supply back there. We'll have several of these in great supply. Please take these and use them.
as we close this evening. Let's consider the passage from 2 Peter 2 that we mentioned earlier in verse 20. Just take a minute or two, but we need to be reminded of becoming a Christian and staying a Christian. As Peter often had to do in his epistles, especially his second epistle, he had to warn about false teachings. Those who would twist scriptures, those who would bring in uh, ideals that would condemn your soul. So he's been doing that. And then he gives this warning from 2 Peter 2, beginning in verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of Jesus. First thing I want you to think about is a sweet escape. The sweet escape. The greatest escape known to mankind is this right here. We escape the world. We escape the defilements of the world through the knowledge of Jesus. Notice where it starts. That's why we got these tools. Okay? That's where it starts. No other place to start. Through the knowledge of Jesus. And as that knowledge grows and one learns what to do to become a Christian through faith and repentance and confession and baptism, then one is able to be in Christ, receive forgiveness of sin, and escape the world. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to think about. This sweet escape is somewhat talked about over in just a page over in 1 John 1 that we mentioned, 1 John 1, 1 through 4, where John and others could talk like this. They could say, Jesus was here and we heard Him, we saw Him with our eyes, we handled Him with our hands, we ate with Him, we traveled with Him, we were with Him day in and day out. He was a real person. He really did the things that we are testifying to you. And so they were eyewitnesses of this. They proclaimed unto him. And notice what Peter says in verse 3 of 1 John 1, 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the sweet escape. When we take the testimony and the words of that testimony from the apostles who are right there with him, and we receive those, then we can have the very same fellowship with the Lord that they have. That's the sweet escape from the world. And notice John goes on to say in 1 John 1, 4, he says, These things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. That's where our joy comes from. Our salvation, our fellowship with Christ. So I want us to think about the sweet escape that's available to all of us, both as we obey the Lord initially, but also as we continue to grow in Him. But also, in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter talks about an unfortunate entanglement. If you keep reading here in 2 Peter 2, 20, he says, We have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of Jesus... But then if we are entangled again therein, 
and overcome by the, those entanglements, then the latter end is worse than the beginning. The entanglement. See, that's, that's the messiness and that's, that's the determination. That is the faith. That, that is the discipline that we have to have in the Lord as we serve Him. We must stay on target. We must stay on the path because there is the possibility of being entangled therein. And then our latter state, our last state will be worse than the first. If language means anything, doesn't this mean that you have to maintain your faith as a Christian and that there's no such thing as once saved, always saved. There's no such thing as the impossibility of apostasy. You know, of course that's what this means. It's not that the Lord wants us to be lost, but He wants us to become a true servant of Him and give our full dedication to Him. And so there is the possibility of unfortunate entanglement. And then the third ideal here in 2 Peter uh, 2 is um, the disgusting end uh, for someone who gets entangled. We're right back at the pigs. We were, we were with the pigs this morning and Jesus and the demons. And here he says... Uh, the latter end is worse. It's, it's like a dog returning to his vomit. And the clean pig uh, goes right back into the mud. Wallowing in the mud. That's exactly how God views it. When we give up on Him. And we return to the world. It's, it's most disgusting. In His eyes. And so Peter in talking about knowledge. He mentions the sweet escape. He mentions the possibility of an entanglement. And if that continues, then there will be a very bitter and nasty end uh, to all of this. But it doesn't have to be. We have the tools necessary to grow in faith and to share our faith with other people. And if you're subject to the Lord's invitation uh, this very evening, we would love to, to pray and to study, to sit down. God gives us these opportunities. We are His family. He wants us to pray together, study together, lift each other up, exhort one another, build one another up in the most holy faith. If we can help you tonight, please make that known right now as we stand together, as we sing.